0: you know, in this business, you have to embrace change. If you don't, if you're not, that's not your DNA. It's really tough in the media business today because change is your middle name. I mean, we just, you know, every six months, you know, the puck gets moved and you have to pivot your business and you have to pivot your approach to media. And I've always loved that.
1: Welcome to Media Sales Confidential, where we get the inside information from some of the world's most respected and innovative leaders. I'm Matt Bartles, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Mr. Sean Giancola, CEO and publisher of the New York Post. Let's go. Hey, Sean, thanks for joining. Hi. Oh, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. So you've had leadership positions uh, in the media industry at AOL, Time Inc., American Express, and now the CEO at New York Post. Let's take a step back and, and uh, talk about what made you decide to have a career in media sales.
0: I have a, an interesting path. So I graduated Syracuse in 1990, and I had visions of being the next Bud Fox and, and going to Wall Street, and you know, it be either being a big time stockbroker or wealth management or a trader. Well, lo and behold, for those are, that are in the fifties knows that, you know, the, the early nineties, it was a horrible economy. Jobs were tough to come by. So I moved to New York and I literally just started with, you know, selling computers and intranet stuff more than anything. And I didn't like that at all. I was still trying to get on the wall street. So about a year into my, into my time in New York at that time, got an opportunity to, to join a small bond firm and go through their training program. So I went through their training program. I got all licensed up and believe it or not, like right after I went through the training program, uh, I got an opportunity to actually get out of a small bond firm and go join Payne Weber, where I actually did more training and got my own desk and, uh, you know, was doing okay in the business, you know, but I struggled with the cutthroat and not dishonest, but just challenging environment in that business. I didn't give up and then I left Payne Weber and I I tried Morgan Stanley at the time. And I still was just not comfortable with the industry. and you know what I thought is what I wanted to do turned out not what I wanted to do. So as I mentioned, I, I graduated from Syracuse, and as many of the listeners here know that Syracuse has the number one communication school, a lot of uh, advertising folks. and I had a good, couple good friends of mine from the Syracuse alum that I knew in the business. A gentleman that I'm still dear friends with was at Mm MediCom and he was a young guy making a lot of upward movement really quickly. And I, I had lunch with him and I said, you know, I just hate what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, you should get into media sales. And he tells me all about media sales. And I'm like, this sounds great. Dinners, games, (laughs) you know, entertaining, teeny accounts and, you know, selling, you know, advertisements. And, and mostly we were talking about magazines. So he's like, yeah, you should, you know, I'll help you with it. So I started networking in the magazine business and it, as great as it seemed, it was hard, mm-hmm. hard to break in. Sure, People are like, you have no media selling experience. I got lucky. I, I befriended another Syracuse alum who was in the trade magazine business. And he oversaw like magazines, like Financial trader, Wall Street, and technologies, insurance, and business. Anyway, long story short, he hired me. I did a year and a half there, and then got another break, basically from the same gentleman that convinced me that I should get in this business. Got me an interview at Money Magazine. Okay. And lo and behold, after after I don't know how many interviews, I got the job to go to work at Money Magazine. You know, I worked in the Money Fortune Group for a good part of totaled like twelve or thirteen years.
1: Yeah. So you say you got lucky. You say you caught a break. Now, is it, it, is it you catching a break or is it you making a break for you to catch?
0: You know, I think it's probably, I always underestimate that luck is, is just working hard. And I did work hard at trying to find an opportunity.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I do think you make your own luck and I did make my own luck. I was really working hard at trying to break into the agent in, and in, into the, uh, advertising business.
1: Yeah. So you're working hard you're being consistent, obviously having the right skill sets, knowledge base, those are all factors in catching a break, but are there any tricks of the trade to help someone really get noticed or somebody in that same position right now? You know, there's a war on talent going on out there and people are trying to get noticed and trying to move around a little bit. What's the tricks of the trade or any words of advice you would have for folks in a similar situation?
0: Yeah. You know, one of the things that I didn't do early in my career is I kept my head down and I kept doing really well. My performance yeah. was was great everywhere I was at. The, the thing that I didn't realize is that it's just more than doing well and making your number. It's making yourself visible inside and outside your company.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I didn't really learn that until probably AOL. Okay. And that's what I would say to anybody either getting into the media business or in the media business and just trying to pick up tricks and ways of the trade, is that yourself and your brand is not only about hitting your number, working really hard, being performance driven. It's also being cognizant of like, you have to make people avo- aware of you both internally and externally
1: for your career. So I'm, I'm going to take that as you made your own break.
0: Yeah, I think I did.
1: <laughs> so you're successful on Wall Street. It doesn't quite fit your personality. Yeah. And then you get into media and publishing, seems to jive a little bit. Tell us about some of the, 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 the next steps then. How did you transition that into your position at Time Inc.?
0: You know, I'm a believer of hard work and, and dedication and loyalty. And I think I leveraged that, you know, when I was transitioning it in, into Time Inc. and into Money and the Money Fortune Group. And I just put my head down and worked really hard. And, you know, like most media companies, you go through change, right? And we were going through changes at money with the publisher. And I'll leave names out of it, but we got a new publisher. And at the same time, the, the head of um, the, the Northeast position, director of the Northeast was open. And I raised my hand. And initially, the new publisher, who I didn't know very well, kind of dismissed me. And we're dear friends today, by the way. And I actually was sort of um, upset. I don't want to say I was disrespected. That's not, that's probably too harsh. Mm -hmm. But then I went to my president who I knew really well. And my president knew me. And I said, listen, I just want a shot. Just all I deserve is the time. And he's like, oh my God, no problem. You will be considered. Initially, that didn't go over well with the new publisher, sure. me going over their head, but it paid off. You know, I got the job and the publisher at the time, like I said, we hit off. I was very successful. We're dear friends today. And, and that kind of catapulted me into the management world and which I leveraged then again at American Express Publishing and then the AOL and then eventually here as well.
1: Okay. So you went in, got into a more traditional publishing type of a role, went through Time Inc., American Express Publishing, then AOL. So that's yep. a pretty, that's a pretty big change. So yes. what were some of the biggest challenges that you had going from that traditional core print organization to the digital organization?
0: Well, I'll tell you when I got the job at AOL and the, the first job I had at AOL was running the travel vertical. Okay. So MapQuest and AOL travel. And I can't remember. We had another site. I'm losing my Gadling. We had a site called Gatling and I thought I needed digital. And then I realized I did. Okay. And I was thankful I got the opportunity, but I made it my mission to learn everything about digital. Uh I asked a million questions, attended every meetings, diversified meetings at AOL. And I would say I got my MBA in digital in the first six months working for AOL. And then I, as soon as I grasped the digital space, that's all I knew and that's all AOL was. And I loved it and it was so... Evolving and interesting because I joined the time that Tim Armstrong took the business over and mm-hmm. really was changing AOL's perspective and from the industry. And I loved it. I had opportunity after opportunity. And again, I kept my head down, worked really hard. But at the same time, I picked my head up at times and realized what I had to do internally and externally. And I just kept getting more responsibility and more responsibility. AOL, you know, I, I at one point, I was running travel, I was running politics. I had entertainment, business to business. And it was, it was just, it was a wonderful time and uh, great, great leadership there, great colleagues. And that was it. And then I got
1: the opportunity to come here. It sounds like you're taking on a lot of challenges though. You're going jumping into the digital world feet head first. Were these challenges just finding you or were you actively seeking them out? Or was it something you know, that you were know. just trying I to build your career? You knew you had to be able to deal with this whole new internet thing.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I was seeking them out because when I got to AOL, it was all about, you, you know, still today, your business changes every six months.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So every six months, we were leaning into something else, whether it was buying the Huffington Post or leaning into more AOL.com or rebranding, movie phone, whatever it was. But it was just, I, I'm just so inquisitive and I love change. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think, you know, in this business, you have to embrace change if you don't, if you're not, that's not your DNA. It's really tough in the media business today because change is your middle name. I mean, we just, you know, every six months, you know, the puck gets moved and you have to pivot your business and you have to pivot your approach to media. And I've always loved that. So that's what allowed me, I think in this position to be somewhat successful because we've been pivoting our business almost at a six month cadence.
1: Yeah. So they say you got to, you gotta go where the puck is going, not where the puck is. How do you know? How do you know when it's time to move on, when it's time to take on more, take on that new challenge?
0: Each different company I worked for, I, I was in a different role. Mm-hmm. And when they called me about this opportunity to join the post as the chief revenue officer, I initially thought it was the worst idea in the world. Mm-hmm. Until I talked to a lot of senior executives here and I saw the vision that they were painting and that they wanted to take the post in. And like I said, I love change and I love opportunities, even challenges, really challenges. And at first I wasn't really receptive to the opportunity. And then after several times meeting with folks here, I went from being tentative to being, oh, I want this job worse way than ever. And then when I got it, it was everything I thought it would be hard Uh and challenging but you had open runway to do different things and really create a new business. Yeah. You know, uh, when I joined the post, we were, we basically were a newspaper publisher and we had this growing Mm post.com and we were 20 million users today. We're a multimedia company. We've got a hundred million users and it's been fun. And, And the journey, you know, obviously as a CRO, before my boss left the company, I really was very happy just being the CRO. I didn't have any, I didn't really have any intentions of being the CEO, but when they offered it to me, of course I said, yeah, as quick as I could.
1: Yeah. Well, clearly there's a, a pattern here of learning, taking on challenges and, and evolution. And it sounds like you've been able to take on a lot of that, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, you're being driven to go ahead and take on those new challenges. The, le- the lessons learned along the way, how did that actually draw you into that New York Post role, the original one, the CR role?
0: You know, I think that it really was about
1: being part of something special, Mm -hmm. being
0: part of something that you could put your fingerprints on, right? When I was at AOL, I had some opportunity to lead and and evolve their business, but it was limited. Mm -hmm. Um, Here, it was me and the publisher and CEO really dictating where the, where we're going to take the business. And I, and I realized that right away and I realized the opportunity that I had, because my boss at the time really gave me a lot of rope, yeah. you know, to do different things and and
1: challenge myself and my teams. Sure. So what, where, when you first came aboard, what was the print to digital mix and where is it now?
0: When I joined, it was 60, 40 in favor of print. Mm-hmm. It's eighty-five fifteen digital.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So
0: by the way, that's going on seven years.
1: Okay. That's, so it took a little bit of time. So when you, I'm guessing that had to be one of the key priorities was making sure that you were going to be relevant in the digital world going forward. What were some of the secrets or secret sauces of saying, okay, how do we transform this business into that digital uh, business to continue to stay relevant?
0: Well, I think it's, it's kind of a Couple of different functions, right? First, you need to grow the audience and have a quality product. Okay. So we looked at like the engagement and and how we're producing stories, where we're producing stories, and in the quality and how do we make that work? And audience development was a big thing. Then one of the big factors was these partnerships and some of it's in the audience development side, like Facebook, you know, like Apple, where we forged partnerships that grew the audiences. Mm-hmm the quality of the product and then ultimately the sales structure okay you know how do we hire the right because we' had some turnover obviously yeah and how do you hire the right people to do the right jobs that you need them to do moving forward it was tough I mean we are old legacy news business
1: sure
0: you know um, media business you know so it was a it's still it's still, it's still evolving yeah so <laughs> you know even today I mean we still we still print the paper we're still like I think we're I should know this. We're either the fourth or fifth largest newspaper in the country.
1: Yeah. So you you, you go in, you're like, okay, let's talk about product. Let's talk about partnerships. Let's talk about people. The people thing I would imagine would be difficult when you're trying to shift to that mindset. Were you looking for folks like yourself that had traditional publishing and digital, and then you went back to the traditional publishing, kind of like the the trifecta there, or were you looking for people that were just digital natives?
0: I was looking for digital natives and the challenge was finding them and Mm -hmm. having them willing to want to work at the post. Sure. And then what most of them didn't realize when I hired them, how hard it
1: is,
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know? So that was my biggest challenge, finding talent and then keeping talent. And as we grew and as we became more successful then that, both of those became easier. Yeah. You know, in your top 15 website now, You know, that's easy now. Then you have other products that you've developed because you have the scale, Mm -hmm. then it's Mm -hmm. easy to recruit. So it kind of all
1: works and dovetails together. So for the change that you created though with the folks that remained, how did you know who to keep and and how did you get them on board?
0: Good question. I'm not sure I have them all on board (laughs) still, but I think leadership is getting in the trenches with them you know, proving out, like I was making sales calls as a CRO. I have no ego. And I was trying to show them the way that we're going to be able to do business moving forward. And I think when they saw my openness to work hand in hand mm-hmm. and know that we got a lot of work do, education-wise, you know, in the, in the industry, laying out a roadmap, giving them the right product, teaching them how to, to sell it, you know, it was all, combined. But I also think that's, that's my kind of leadership mantra or whatever it might be is I'm willing to do anything and I support my teams in any way I can. And I think that's what made me has, has made me successful in the, in the
1: management roles that I've had. Sure. Roll up the sleeves, get after it. So you come in, make some splashes, the CRO at the New York post founded by Alexander Hamilton. Very cool. Very cool. (laughs) 200 Uh, plus years. Very cool. And now you have the opportunity to become the CEO. How did that conversation happen?
0: My boss at the time, who I'm still, I hate to keep using this phrase, dear friends, Mm -hmm. probably my favorite boss. And, you know, at time it was right. He decided it was right time for him to go, you know, go on to a new challenge. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I was blindsided by it. Later, he called me in his office one night. Said, "By the way, I'm probably going to leave the company tomorrow, mm-hmm. and i recommended you to be CEO." Wow! And I said, "Oh my god!" And uh, later in that evening, I got a call from Robert Thompson, who's the CEO of News Corp, to be in, in to be in his office at eight thirty. Okay. And I was in his office at eight thirty, and he's like, "You know, I think you know Jesse's going to go pursue some new opportunities. He's recommended you to take over his position." so what do you say? And I went, I actually, he was stuttering. And I said, of course. And then the head of human resources who was in the, in the room goes, you don't seem very excited. And I said, <laughs> I'm actually in shock. <laughs> and I was in shock. I never thought I'd have this opportunity. And again, I'm very Thankful of being recommended, and I'm very thankful of Robert giving me the opportunity. So
1: it's been it's been a wonderful ride. It's come up going on three years now, so that's great. So did you have to talk it over with the family? What was the? the no, there was no the, talking over. No I took talk. the job, and Boom. I didn't even
0: ask what it paid. Yeah, I just said I'll, I'll just I'll do it for whatever. Okay, um, I love this brand,
1: and I've had the most fun the last three years in my career. It's been great. All right, so now you've got the the next day, you're like, oh crap! Now I'm the CEO. Now, what? How did you think about resetting your priorities because now you're shifting much bigger job?
0: Yeah, you know, I didn't understand what my boss did all day, okay until day one. and because I was like, "What does he do all day?" And uh, great, again, great friend, great great guy. And then I realized what he did all day, okay And it's a big job. I mean, you know, answering to a lot of people internally and answering to a lot of people externally was was a learning curve for me. What was the biggest um, challenge? The biggest challenge oh, was uh, trying to do too much mm-hmm. and spreading myself thin. Where I had to realize I have a great team and I have to trust them, and I've got to delegate resources. And it was an evolution for me. It's, I'm still working on that. You know, disengaging from where I have quality people in those roles to do that job.
1: Yeah,
0: I should not be looking over people's shoulders. Sure. Now people internally really love me being involved. So. I wasn't infringing and micromanaging, but I was killing myself by by trying to be involved in everything.
1: Okay, so kind of prioritizing um, what you needed to be focused on and what was important. So what was the biggest change in the role itself going from CRO to CEO?
0: It was really, you know, we talked a little bit about where the puck is going. It was really about, the CRO was kind of like tactical things. And at the CEO, I had to take a step back and look at our business and say, what is our long-term strategy? Mm -hmm. And I was very fortunate very early on in taking this job. I brought on Brad elders as my COO and CRO Mm -hmm. and Brad and I worked together for a good bit at AOL and, and Brad has been nothing but an amazing partner and you realize that surrounding yourself with talented people is the secret to success and Brad myself the CFO really started laying out what the strategy is mm-hmm. and when you lay out the strategy and you think it through and then you start putting the pieces together and the resources together to execute on it that's a, that's a that's the job very different from the CRO role, but you got to create the vision and the strategy yeah. in, in concert. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and yet um, I imagine there was other responsibilities that CROs traditionally wouldn't be involved in that you had to take on as far as dealing with external factors of the job, newsroom, those kind of things.
0: Yeah, the newsroom was really a big change too. I forgot about that. It was the first time that I really had responsibilities over newsroom.
1: Yeah. So for the, for, that, for the folks that have no idea what that means, describe the newsroom, describe what it means to run a newsroom.
0: One word I would say is a circus because it is, I mean, it's, wow. it's fast moving and I'm lucky to have, we just brought in a new executive editor. So Keith Poole and Stephen Lynch and, and Michelle Gotthelf are amazing. And to be honest with you, I, I, just inserted myself in the newsroom when I had to most times it's not my responsibility. I've never been a journalist. Mm -hmm. I know now way more than I would ever thought I would know about the the newsroom and the journalism that powers really brands like the post. Um, But it it is a circus. It still is a circus. It will never not be a circus. I think that's just newsrooms, Mm -hmm. a lot of drama, a lot of high, high paced work, but you, 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 you find your footing, I would say as just an outsider because I'm never an insider. Cause I just didn't grow up in that, that world.
1: Right. Right. And so how are you using that now to advance the brand, to drive additional revenue? Has anything changed? So the changed? good news
0: is like, I have a great relationship with Keith Poole mm-hmm. who came over from the sun and we've really, you know, collaborated and built the vision of what we want to do. So what we want to do and on the website, what we want to do in video, what we want to do in prop podcasts, what we want to do in events, what we want to do in TV. You know, we have a diversified product space now, but everything here at the post is powered by journalism,
1: Uh
0: like everything, whether it's podcasts or whether it's video, it's all powered by content. Yeah. So if you don't have a good partnership with the content producers, then that's a really big miss that you're never going to be as successful as you need to be.
1: Yeah. And talk about the digital first attitude and how that's impacted the way you run business.
0: We realize that, you know, we still reach hundreds of thousands of people with the newspaper, but we reach a hundred million through the digital platform. The, The difference is the way the volume needs to be produced, right? We produce thousands of articles a week. Yeah. You know, we only stick you know what, I don't even remember, you know, the number, but I think it's around 30, 35 articles in the paper every day. Everything else just goes to digital. So you really have to think about when we're writing stories and producing content, what does that look like in the digital world? Mm -hmm. You can't write things for the paper anymore. You got to write things for how will this work with video? How will it work with our site? How will it work with e-commerce how will it work with video? How will well, you know all of the things that that now are tethered to our content business? You have to think about those things now, than you more than ever.
1: Yeah, is there is there just a focus on one kind of content going forward, and it's not just online versus print? What's the the future? I, I the say we,
0: I say the post plays in three content se- sections: one, news, but news with our bend. Mm -hmm. You know, or our tone, I would say the post tone, whether that's irreverent, I'm sure people have other words for that, but that's how I see it. Hardcore news, but done with the guise of the post voice. Mm -hmm. Second is gossip and celebrity. We have page six and we have decider. One's a streaming site and one's really a gossip celebrity site. So we have a substantial audience in those sections and then sports. And we've got a huge sports business and we're expanding that rapidly. Mm-hmm. And when I tell, you know, Keith, and what I tell my salespeople, those three things don't focus on anything else. I get offers to do, try to do. People want to partner me with things on like travel, things on like food. Yeah. And at you know what, when I was a CRO, I was doing some of those things I'm like, Oh yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. Or let's try it. And what I realized is do what you do best. Yep. and focus on what you will be successful at yeah and I just spelled it out those three areas are where, where we're putting investment nowhere else
1: love it so not all business is good business they hold it exactly and then you're thinking about this for the for the people for the of the future 15 years from now when you're thinking about the mediums for news consumption how do you think that's going to evolve
0: I think you know, looking from a publisher like us who was built on a newspaper brand, I think you have to em- embrace, you know, your ONO, o, your owned and operated, but you really have to extend and 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 look at the partnerships and the platforms and where are you going to play in there? Because I don't think you can rely on your O, and o for the growth that you're going to need to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so whether that's, you know, partnerships with the with the usual suspects and Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and you know, Snap and other ones. Right. So what we haven't explored yet, because we've got to get some other things figured out before we get into the CTV and the OTT business. Mm-hmm. But I think media is expanding so rapidly in different spaces that you have to prepare to do those things or, or you'll be left flat footed. So right now our big investments are video. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly around sports video and then we'll probably evolve that into entertainment gossip and we can we'll probably continue to do what we're doing in the news space which is just nimble newsy type videos. Also we've gotten into the podcast business hard develop audiences and so forth on that we've been we just we launched a TV division literally as I was taking this role over three years ago pandemic didn't help for production and everything else but we've had some really good successes recently we sold uh, a thing on called gossip to showtime which is really the history of the of the gossip editor and stuff so it's really fun page six and cindy adams was a big focus we're doing something with nbc around the yankees we're doing something uh with discovery around hillsong which is the, this evangelical church story that we've covered immensely uh-huh. so we've we've had some great success in the tv space and we'll probably expand that as well because we have great ip yeah
1: that's, that's yeah. great. So, so, so um yeah so and, and e,
0: i'm sorry e-commerce is another big focus
1: yeah of course so now we, that's the thing so you keep talking and this is true media i say if you can sell in this space you can sell anywhere just because of how how rapidly everything's changing. So how are you then, you and Brad, thinking about setting up the sales organization to make sure that you're going to be able to stay nimble and, and stay ahead of the curve?
0: Yeah, we, you know, look, we still have a legacy business in the paper. So we've changed up our teams a little bit and get people, you know, you wanted to, my vision originally, and I've, I've gone back on this, which is, Hey, in a perfect world, we're going to sell someone a newspaper, you know, you know, uh, campaign, we're going to sell something on the digital, we'll sell something on the video. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work like that. So what we've kind of come to the understanding is like Print's kind of a separate business now. Mm-hmm. And we just have a, a team focused mainly on print. Yeah. And then we've developed a, a more true 360 team to go out and a small team to go out and, and sell the cross media business. Yeah. They sell very few print campaigns. They're yeah. selling digital video podcast. And e-commerce.
1: Yeah. So the, the at the core of all of that though is the the, the people that, that that are working and, and helping to drive the revenue. I know that it's been a challenging time for all organizations in dealing with mental health and all the different changes mm-hmm. in the environment. What are some of the priorities that you have for the people taking care of your people?
0: Yeah. I mean, we're we're facing a tough challenge. So we're we're actually I'm actually in the office today, but for the most of our company, we're not in the office still.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, so we've got some further decisions to make about what we call re-entry. Mm-hmm. So when we make it mandatory that our teams have to come in, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm, I'm of the belief that the five day work week is, I don't know if you want to call it a dinosaur and extinct, but it's going to be close. Sure. So what does a hybrid work structure look like? You know, so you can balance people's work life, yeah. you can balance their family their mental thing about commuting and everything else. So that's my biggest thing that I'm worried about, not worried about, but just a focused on, you know, when you have a team, you know, we, you know, we're not a small organization. I mean, we're not giant, but we've got 500 people that work at the post. Yeah. You know, so how do you put the best interest of those 500 people as we evolve the work structure? Yeah. That's the biggest thing for me.
1: That's a big one. So, Speaking of that. So then what do you do? What are your hobbies? How do you, how do you keep, keep saying, I'm guessing that you're an avid golfer and no-
0: I, well, I, you know, I worked at traveling as your golfer a bit. So, uh, <laughs> I've never gotten in as many rounds as that year right. or that couple years, but I, I do like to golf. I've taken up some other things with my family. Uh, we go bird watching, So we're birders. That's the coin. That's a coin term. So we'll, we've even turned it. I got a 17 year old at home, uh, who's, about to go to college, but he got into birdwatching when he was like seven and we've done it all over the country. We've done South America. We've done Central America. We've done Hawaii. You know, we plan our vacations around birdwatching. So that's one relief. Wow. We still, you know, we do it on weekends and stuff.
1: Wait a minute. Um, we got to dig into this one. This is okay. too good. So what does it consist of? Tell me, how do you get ready for a bird? Are you going for specific birds to look for? Or do you just find what you find? How how does that unfold? Well,
0: we, we, well most people don't realize. I mean, like if you just stop anywhere you're at, just look around. There's birds everywhere. Mm-hmm. Literally, you can, walk, you can walk in New York City and there's birds. So we live in Connecticut and we got into it by, we actually put up a f- bird feeder with no long-term ideas of anything but like we're just gonna feed some birds. Yeah. Next thing you know, we had so many interesting birds at our house. We got really inquisitive around what these birds are. So we started looking them up. And we're like, there's gotta be an app for this, right? right? And there is. There's an app called What Bird and uh an e Okay. So there's two big apps and you can go on there and they and it's way well, it's crazy. I mean they 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 tell you all sorts of information on the birds that you're seeing. And then more, moreover, they actually tell you where the birds are. Okay. So, so they will tell you areas that this bird's been sighted or these birds have been sighted and you can actually go on there and then jump in your car and go to Sherwood National Park and find an owl. So the answer is, depending on the season, mm-hmm. there's different birds in different areas. So in Connecticut, there's spring migration, fall migration, you're looking for certain birds. I never thought in a million years I'd do this. I mean, if you told (laughs) me I'd be a birder, you know, 15 years ago, I thought, I'd tell you you're crazy. Uh I find it so relaxing and fun and you get exercise because you're out there walking around and hiking Uh and the beauty of these birds are spectacular, even in, even in Connecticut or places like Costa Rica that we've been or Hawaii or Brazil or Peru. Wow. They're amazing. So what's Uh, been your favorite spots? I would say... Ecuador or Costa Rica has been my favorite. The the exotic birds into the Amazon in, in, in Ecuador or Costa Rica is just amazing country. And it's got five or six sub temperature areas that you can literally puddle jump in a plane. And, and actually on one trip, you could do three or four different areas that are completely different. Wow. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been, it's been really fun. My, and it's something but family bonding. My, sure. my son loves it, my wife loves it, and I love it. So nice.
1: that's great. So I'm not sure I've met a ton of birders. I was on a trip to, I was at the Grand Canyon, actually. Yeah. And there was a guy, uh, uh, I think his name was Patrick. And he was a talker and he talked and talked, but he had a wealth of knowledge, not just about the Grand Canyon and rocks, but he was talking about birds. And so he must yeah. have been like a either a closet birder, or I don't know what it is, but he was, he was giving us different terminology. And he said that, tell me if this is true. He thinks that crows are some of the smartest birds out there.
0: Yeah. You know, I've heard that as well, you know, that, and then parrots are very smart, Um, you know, obviously with the talking, but they're very smart birds as
1: well. Yeah. Um, He said these crows bury their own dead. And yeah, have funerals to let them know this could happen to you if you're, or, <laughs> or to celebrate the life of, I'm like, that's, that's pretty fascinating. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really fun hobby. And, you know, if anybody has any interest, you know,
0: the big organization is the Audubon Society Yeah, and they're, are a wealth of knowledge in every area. You know, there, there's Audubons of the state, there's mm-hmm. Audubons of the cities, uh, there's a national Audubon Society. So it's, it's a really fun
1: hobby. It really yeah. is. That is, that is cool. So one, one of the things we like to do at the end of at the conversations is ask you, and I know you mentioned a little bit, but if you can sum it back up for us, what is Sean Giancola's leadership mantra or motto?
0: Mine is surround yourself with the best people you can. And then I would say delegate and give authority to those leaders to make prudent decisions. And the biggest thing is support them. Whatever that, that means support could be really getting into the weeds with them on a project or making sure that there's no barriers in their way to having things done, whether it's finances or it's HR or whatever. So mine is a big support, Mm -hmm. get roll up my sleeves, as you mentioned earlier. And one of the functions to do that is to, is to just hire a great team.
1: Yeah, that's great. I love it. Well, Sean, thank you so much for joining us today on Media Sales Confidential with Matt Bartles. As always, it was great having you. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and never miss an episode and make sure to share it with your friends. Thank you for listening. And that's the Inside Scoop.
0: Well, the species it's complicated and my and my son knows it much more better than i do because he loves researching i don't care about the science as much as i just like the relaxing and, and viewing these incredible birds yeah. but yeah there's latin phrases all over the place for the birds
1: okay i heard a couple of them the uh, first one was like dipped so the bird dipped on us so that, oh. where i come from that means you kind of just dipped out and left <laughs> so that might be relevant i heard uh the SOB stands for something like son of a birder, spouse of a birder, something oh, I have like no that. idea. I've never been called an SOB. Come on, Sean. No, never an S-O-B. <laughs> um,
0: I, I have, but not in the birding
1: technique. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. That is funny. <laughs> <laughs>